Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello there, guys, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. The Untitled Callum and Johnny Film Podcast. Or Double Feature with Callum and Johnny. Or the Untitled Callum and Johnny Film Project. Or the Project of Callum and Johnny's Film Podcast or Podcasting We're going to lean into this joke until it is good, dead and butchered. But this is our weekly reminder that if you... Our lovely listeners can think of a better name probably not that hard um your name can be the name of our podcast so let's on the back whatever they say on tv something about on the back of a postcard answers on the back of a postcard yes that's what i'm looking for answers on the back of a postcard uh, and we will maybe use your name so this is your chance to become famous it has to be funny witty Hilarious, all those things. Memorable, memorable, original. A bit sexy, maybe. Yeah, just like us. Just like us. So I, I don't know if you, dear listeners, know the uh, untitled the story behind calling things untitled. So in the film industry, uh, there are many. What often happens with films is that someone will write a script first before they have a name. Uh, or often the, 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 the script will come with a name, but the executives hate it or whatever. So in those scenarios, what they will do is they will call it the untitled. I think one of the most famous kind of versions of that uh, was American Pie, the original one. So I think the original version of American Pie, the title was, or, or the, the title when it got greenlit, was the untitled um, $10 million movie that audiences will love but studios will hate i think that's what it was a word to that effect and the movie ended up grossing something like 15 times its budget and i can't imagine it was the best reviewed movie of all time it's not exactly the highest of brow humor that would really tickle cecil and ebert or or types like that Mm -hmm. 
Um, so no, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a, an interesting one. But um, yeah, that's that's why we are called what we're called. But just like all those movies, we are open to better ideas. So yeah, here for the... Should we go into the magic now? Yeah, the long run. Magic well, I think this magic has begun and I think it's really rolling along. Oh, this is the magic? This is the oh, magic. Oh, this is the magic. Sorry, sorry, I wasn't sure. Um, but yeah, uh, so I hope you have enjoyed us spending about five minutes trying to get the name of our podcast right. Wasting your time. But this is the... Uh, <laughs> you are listening to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. And welcome. Thank you, listeners. Welcome, welcome. So, those of our listeners from last week, and hopefully there will be some new listeners this week, uh, but those of our listeners from last week, remember that we will start our show off with the news, and then we will talk about two films that are intertwined somehow, one that is new and one that is old. And what are our new and old movies this week, Callum? Well, the new movie is 13 Lives, directed by Ron Howard. It came out this year, only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's about the flooding of the caves in Thailand where those 13 boys were, uh, and their soccer coach was trapped in a cave. Um, and the old movie is going to be The Poseidon Adventure from 1972. And the theme linking both films this week is survival. Survival, disaster, disaster movies, survival. And, and water. Well, and water. water as well. There's some water in there. Well, that was unwitting, but we managed to get another link in there. So, yeah. Great movies. And as ever, movie number one, new out. You probably haven't seen it. So there will be no spoilers. Well, <laughs> minimal spoilers at least. Um, but movie number two, fair game. We will say whatever we want. That film has been played every Sunday lunchtime on BBC or ITV since probably about 1978. Since so the beginning of time itself. Exactly. So if you haven't seen that yet, probably listen to the first two thirds of this podcast. Go and pause it. Find it somewhere at the minute it's on Disney Plus. I know that much because that's where I watched it, and I suspect you watched it too. I did. Um, so just go and watch Disney Plus, and uh, yeah, you can come back and then finish the podcast. Um, but I suspect a lot of you will have seen it. So let's first off, though, jump into the news. For people who can't see this, he's flicking through his notebook as if he's a newsreader. This is not good radio. But also <laughs> knocking my microphone, which is very much unlike a professional newsreader. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to do the honours first, Callum, and do our per per first piece of news? I sure will. Guillermo del Toro's version of Pinocchio has been announced to be the world have its world premiere at the BFI London Film Festival, and I'm very excited about this because I saw the trailer. I think it came out about a month ago. The trailer for his version, and it's a full stop motion version of the story, um, along with Leica. He's one of the few people who's still kind of maintaining that integrity of fully stop motion films. And it looks really wonderful. The trailer opens with a, mon a montage of all the images and it's narrated by Ewan McGregor, who has a lovely voice. And I just found myself being totally won over. And it's going to premiere at the London Film Festival. And I do have the dates here. Uh, it's taking place from October 5th to the 15th. So that film is going to open it. So that will be playing on October 5th and it's going to have its world premiere. And 
I think it looks wonderful and I'm really excited to hear that that's going to be playing first at a British film festival. So as you know, um, I like Guillermo del Toro as well. I think most people do. If you like film, you probably like Guillermo. Um, and I, funnily enough, almost had this as one of my pieces of news oh, really? this week. Yeah, or a slight version of it, but yeah. Um, so interesting enough. Uh, Ewan McGregor actually was on the Smartlist podcast this week. I just heard that this morning. Not to plug other podcasts, but other podcasts are available. Um, and yeah, they he, he was excellent on it and he was talking about the role. He was talking about how when he first turned up to the first recording session, he didn't actually realise he'd quite had the role at that point. Hadn't been sent the script and was just told to do Jiminy Cricket straight away. And he was like, just uh, go in the booth and read the lines. And he, he started to make it up and apparently after about 20 minutes had to stop and be like, Gelmo, I don't know what I'm doing. I did I thought we were just going for a chat. Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting start. But yeah, no, it does. It looks excellent. Uh, and yeah, I will probably be, we'll probably be reviewing that at some point. I'm sure we will because um, very soon, actually, I believe next month or probably um, this month, because this episode will probably come out in early September, the Disney Plus version of Pinocchio, which is the live-action remake with Tom Hanks, will be coming out. So there's sort of a duo, a dual Pinocchio thing going on. It's kind of interesting in a way because Tom Hanks, very interested. Disney live-action remake, very disinterested. So and I know it's... which one of the ones that I will be waiting for, um, and it's probably the Gilmore one. I also am a massive stop motion fan. It's also the uh, Disney Plus one is being directed by Robert Zemeckis, just to tie it into last week's episode. And everyone knows my opinion on Robert Zemeckis. Well, I don't think they do oh, if they're you... new listeners. Well, yeah, true. I think uh, the easiest way to describe it is early Zemeckis, yay. Zemeckis with computers, nay. Um, so yeah, that's my opinion on Robert Zemeckis. And what is your first piece of news? So last week we were discussing uh, briefly uh, the Warner Brothers and Discovery merger and their writing off of hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds worth of shows that they didn't think they were going to make a huge amount of money from um, or, or movies including Batgirl that they didn't think they were going to make a huge, huge amount of money from um, and using that as a tax write-off because they haven't got to pay won't have to pay tax as a, as a business for a few years in the States. Um, really anti-art, really miserable, blah, 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 which is kind of what we were saying last week. But there has been a couple of interesting tidbits of news coming out of it. So the first one is that the Batgirl, uh, or Batgirl, has it got a the or the? Has it got a the or the? I think you might be mixing it up with the most recent The Batman, which had the... Quite possibly. The the. The the. the, the. So Batgirl... Uh, they have actually hacked together a copy of it, missing much of its CGI and all the finishing touches, and I think they wanted some reshoots and things. But they've been doing what they've been calling uh, graveyard screenings or funeral screenings for it with all the cast and crew um, to send it off. Uh, unfortunately, the directors hinted that they would have liked to have leaked it, but uh, Warner Brothers had already got and locked all the computer systems so they could not get into there too bad to do anything with so it sounds like they may even to prove that it's going to be a tax write-off and that they won't make any profit from it delete all of the footage oh so that's the the first piece of sad news that's awful it is really is so 
the second part of this kind of whole Warner Brothers and Time merger that is a bit interesting is the one film they seem to be trying to save, which I thought might go under the bus, uh, is The Flash. Um, those of you may have seen what's going on with with Ezra. Um, unfortunately, they have been seen to be having some kind of a mental health issue and realistically going on an international crime spree. Um, yes. And, yeah. It's very done, sad. Done the thing is very sad. They have done the thing that people seem to do when they get caught in these situations where they put a press release out saying I'm working on myself and I'm having an issue and blah 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 and they seem to be trying to save the movie um, but at one point it did look quite hard to save I thought but yeah that seems to be something that they are trying to from save from my understandings and these you have to take this with a lot of salt a huge beaker of salt is that the um, uh, test screening reactions are supposed to be incredibly positive and that's why they're trying to save this movie. And I do have to say, um, the only part of the Justice League Zack Snyder version, which the internet loved, but I thought was boring, was the so one... So did I. <laughs> I haven't even seen all of it. Um, turned it off. Was the one scene <laughs> with Ezra Miller, their introduction... Sorry, introductionary scene, where the Flash saves that woman and it's played out to the Song of the Siren. And it gave me a little hint of that kind of old-fashioned superhero magic, that old-fashioned Christopher Reeve. I thought, this is a moment of magic in an incredibly boring four-hour hour movies, but five minutes is not enough. On the normal cut of Justice E that I've seen, he's also my favourite person in it. Jason Momoa has his moments, Ben Affleck has his moments, but I actually really like him. They're the only them, one that him, gets... Um, him as the Flash, them as Ezra. They're the only one that gets really anything to do other than to be stoic. And It's not great comic relief, but it's something. Yeah, absolutely. It is, uh, it's an interesting role, and, and Ezra in general, they've managed to have a really interesting career and are a great actor. Um, we need to talk about Kevin, one of, kind of his first roles, and going through many other great roles. So now he um, hopefully will... We'll, will recover from this um find the help that they need find the help they need indeed and uh hopefully he hasn't caused too many issues for other people on the way yes i, I think that's fair enough uh so over to you callum for your second piece of news well news number two is that nicholas cage's comeback career is getting off really well uh He's done a lot of quite interesting roles over the last few years, and he was most recently seen in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which was good fun, kind of poking fun at himself. It's a good thing to do when you're trying to mount a comeback. He was also in a neon film, Pig, which was a big indie festival favourite. <coughs> they also have a, a big um, comedy movie coming out soon, um, a, a version of Dracula, where it focuses on the character Renfield where he's playing Dracula, but it's just been announced that Nicolas Cage is the star in an A24 comedy called Dream Scenario, with Ari Aster producing. Ari Aster, of course, is the director of Hereditary and of Midsommar. Midsommar! Um, and it seems like a very fitting piece. Indie movie directors seem to really like Nicolas Cage, especially right now during this comeback. It's not really much about the plot that's known, but the A24 family does like people like Adam Sandler giving them dramatic roles, and it also likes putting people in very interesting, very weird indie movies. And I think 
Ari and Nicholas and A24 are really going to be a good match, especially considering the recent slew of films he's been doing in the last five years. And as we know, being an A24 film, it will be marketed as a straight horror movie. Absolutely. No matter what genre it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And on to my final piece of news. Hit it. Um, um, some, some sad news, really, from the Marvel camp. There's been a, there's a couple of Marvel cartoon series that are on um, Disney Plus. I don't know if you've seen. There is, I never know how to say it, the one with Patton Oswald. Oh, is that Modoc? Modoc. And also, I've only watched parts of Modoc. Same. But also Hitmonkey, which I really, really loved with Sudeikis in it. Uh, Jason Sudeikis plays a hitman who is murdered and a monkey goes to kind of avenge his death kind of and also the death of the monkey's family and turns into a hitman hence the title hit monkey really complex um but i really liked it and unfortunately it sounds like both of them and a few other marvel tv series projects have been given the axe after one season oh that's too bad it really is and apparently uh, a big part of it comes down to there was a bit of an internal power struggle between kevin feige um who predominantly was he was running the movie studio and the previous person who was running the the television studio um and as they were kind of merging the movies more into the you know the, the tv shows more into the cinematic universe with wandavision yes the, and the most recently uh, she hulk exactly um they kevin feige's kind of pushed this other guy out and then slowly killing all his babies kind of thing so um yeah that was a a, a bit of sad news because and some of them I'm not so bothered about, but Hitmonkey I was really enjoying and it kind of left itself very much open for a second season. It sounds like they were more daring in a lot of ways. They were allowed to be R-rated and do kind of slightly crazier things. Yeah, absolutely. They they were ridiculous. And they were, as, you know, I, one would imagine comparatively fairly low budget um, and kind of quite low stakes for them in a way. So they were allowed to be, be a little bit more daring, whereas... You know, I, can't, I don't know what WandaVision's budget was per episode, but I would expected probably well north of five to eight million dollars an episode, if not ten. Or well, they more. look very high in production. They do, yeah. Um, and that for that reason, um, you know, very high stakes has to play a little bit safe. Although there are some little fun bits in most shows, but yeah. <laughs> so that is the news. Um, anything to add to that, Callum? No, I think we've hit everything that we wanted to hit on our news segments. Very good. Uh, if I do sound hoarse at all at any point this week, unfortunately I am recovering from a case of the event. Uh, so, yes, if you if I sound nasally or hoarse, this is why. And if you hear any glugs of water, that's, that's also why. Or coughing, or although I will try very hard to edit these things out. Because this is a professional, tightly run ship and anyone who says different will sue into the ground. Exactly. Perfection. Absolute perfection. It's what we strive for. Excellent. Well, and on that, I think we've got a word from somebody. Well, jolly good show. Oh, yeah. I, uh, so, uh, I'm Boris Johnson, and uh, I'm... Uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic, and I uh, listen to the uh, some kind of podcast, uh, Johnny and Callum's film, fantastic film reviews, or something or other. Or uh, I can't remember. 
And thank you very much there, Boris Johnson. Um, I know you will be out of a job soon and you can... No, actually, I don't want you on my podcast again. But, I really don't. Uh, well, one time for the comedy value. Fine. But no uh, yeah. more. Or no more. Um, so let's roll on to this week's first movie, the new movie. Um, and the movie this week is Ron Howard's 13 Lives. Do you want to give us the uh, rundown of the plot? Why don't I? Um... I don't know how spoilery you can go with a thing that was cut on the news every day for about two weeks, but uh, in Thailand there was a case in 2018 of uh, 12 boys from the Wild Boar football team and their coach um, basically played a match of football. It was one of the boys' birthday, um, and they decided to go in this cave they always go into. Um, for little explorations, they cycled there, left all their bikes at the entrance of the cave, went kind of disappeared off into the cave. And uh, after um, uh, a little bit of time in there, kind of they walked quite a way in, uh, it started to suddenly monsoon rain. Um, and as an ex person who used to live in Thailand, you don't tend to get the rain that quite that early in that area of it's, it's right on the borders of, of, of Myanmar, Burma, up, up the top end of Thailand. Uh, and their rainy season tends to start, I think it was July that they started raining there. And the rainy season, the worst of it, tends to be end of July, early August. And the rain came pouring down. And they got trapped in the cave. Uh, and they needed some help to get out. So after they were, it was realised that the, these Thai lads were stuck in the cave, um, the call went out. People came from all over Thailand to try and help. And I think they quite quickly realised that maybe they didn't have all of the expertise that they, they needed to hand. Uh, and that there were only a few people in the world that had those expertise. And they put the call out to those expert, those, those people. Uh, and two of them that initially answered the call were two Brits, uh, who in the movie are played by Viggo Mortensen and uh, Colin Farrell. And they came in and the rest is history. I don't want to go too into too much detail into it, as this is the spoiler-free podcast, but uh, or part of the podcast. But yeah, I think um, it was good that you introduced that film because you were with your knowledge of Thailand and the, its history and of the geography. You were able to add some details and of the rainy season and stuff like that. I would have summed it up like, well, it was a bit rainy, wasn't it? And oh, they went in the caves and caught blimey, it wasn't it wasn't a good time for them. I know. I mean, I feel like it possibly slipped slightly away from a film podcast into a Thai tourism slash meteorological podcast, but at least it gives you a bit of background. We are the experts in all the things that we decide. Exactly. We are the experts in our fields when it comes to these things. So, Callum, what did you think? I enjoyed it very much. Um, and with someone like uh, Ron Howard as a director, it it's quite, can be quite a mixed bag. His touchstone as a director is that he's incredibly unfussy he, he he won't put uh crazy camera angles or flashy editing he'll be very nuts and bolts very meat and potatoes and when he has poor material this becomes quite a bad thing because his he's so unflashy that he isn't able to distract from a poor script examples would be the da vinci code series and several other films he's made which are really quite 
poor. But when he has good material, his strength is, is that he's unfussy. He just lets the material speak for itself. And that is an incredible strength as a director when he has the right material, because he allows the story to just be the story. And with this film, I think that was absolutely the right way to play it, because it's a film that's very lacking in histrionics or screaming matches or characters pounding their fists on tables saying things like, you can't handle the truth, because that's not the story that this is. Everyone just came together to try and get those boys out. It was a, it's a very much a film about uh, communities trying to come together. People just kind of say, okay, let's try this thing. It might help the boys, let's try it. With one exception, I did find that the, um, so as we uh, mentioned before, the two Brits are played by Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen, an American and an Irishman. And their accents are fine, but every so often they do go into, go blimey governor, what's going on down here? Caves, is it? Boys in caves, what, down your trousers? Usually that's fine because there's not much, it's not a very ego-led film, either from a Ron Howard's unfussy direction or the acting, which is for the most part very direct and to the point of we've got to get the, these boys out. How do we get these boys out? We do this thing. But there's one scene where Viggo Mortensen has a bit of a screaming match. It's if this film had been um, played for Oscar materials, that would have been his clip. And there's a scene where he pounds his fist on the table. It's like, if we take those boys out, they're going to be dead bodies. What is? What they is? Oh, they're going to be dead bodies. And it was a little bit mockany in that one moment. And it was just that tiny moment. But the fact that I'm nitpicking so hard on one, frankly, insignificant scene and one, frankly, very insignificant detail that his accent is occasionally a little bit ropey. Um shows just how little there is to complain like i said it's a very unfussy film it's a very egoless film and that is exactly ron howard's strength and later on in the film a i think we can talk about this because he is in the trailer because he's the probably the third biggest star in this film is that joel edgerton or edgerton i'm never quite sure but he's an australian actor please edgerton edgerton i think you might be right um he comes in about halfway through the film and he plays a um doctor and anaesthetist anaesthetist yes and um and that becomes important but i can't talk about why that's important and again a very egoless character and a very egoless performance and for my money he was pro of the um western actors he was probably the best in show for me out of the three guys and I liked Viggo Mortensen, one moment aside, and Colin Farrell very much, apart from that one, where have got them dead buddies, weren't we? Well, I would kind of say, in fairness to him, though, he was an Australian playing with an Australian accent. That's true. So he probably should have done the better job at getting his accent correct. <laughs> um, I, I would kind of agree. I have watched... Um, uh, I've actually watched afterwards funny enough on disney plus there's a documentary about it at the moment and i was watching some some videos on youtube about the um the the, 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 the two british guys um and i really shouldn't have written their names down which is really bad and i kind of think i know them but i feel like if i say them i'm gonna get them wrong so i do have the imdb page open and i can tell you that their names <laughs> are rick stanton and john volenthen or volenthen yeah, but it's not pronounced like that, and I can't remember how it was pronounced. But anyway, that's a, that's a slight aside. And 
<clears throat> at times they get their characters quite good. Colin Farrell does the better job. His character is far more like his character in real life. Um, yeah, uh, but they, they they definitely have slightly exaggerated accents. They the, the, the real people sound quite. I don't want to say they're, they're not speaking like received English or anything, but they you know they are you know fairly standard English accents where like you say it traces a bit all over the place. A little bit mockney in some. A little instances. bit mock. It's like like you say it's when they get angry, which I think often is when people's accents slip yes, in movies. Yes, I, I think it is too. They get angry and there's a bit. Of, and like I said, it was just that one moment that Viggo Mortensen has that bit. They're going to be dead bodies. What is? What is? Dead bodies. The dead bodies out. Yeah, it's. But I mean that, like you say, that is very nitpicking. I actually think it's one of Ron Howard's best films for for quite a substantial amount of time. I thought it was pretty tight. I didn't think there was much bag in it. I thought the script was well done. Knowing what happened, I think it did a very good job of telling the story. Um, I like the fact that they didn't just try and tell the main story. They tried, to, although I think they did tail off towards the end a little bit, but they tried to show the story of some of the other people that sacrificed a few bits and pieces in there as yes. well. And it did that very respectfully and very well. And they go through to the next section and there's no one there. It's only as far as they want to be before. And they come back through. And then there's one of the guys has been stuck there and they help take one of the guys through and he bashes his head which becomes quite a big point in the storyline so i'm not going to go too much into that um and in real life it was more than one person and it was that was the first place they said they surfaced in there and these people have been left there for a few hours and they've just been forgotten about and no one knew they were there uh, and then they had to take them out and exactly the same thing happened they you know they panicked bashed their head and that was as i say it is a quite an important part of the story um, you know, afterwards, the, the events not so much. It's, it's what it means. Um, but they, yeah, uh, that that whole thing um, was actually almost felt like it was downplayed. So I actually think it was a really, really well done, really respectful script. So I was very impressed. I was incredibly impressed. Uh, I, I didn't see the documentary, and I only knew about the story from the news. But the direction was probably the best in those cave diving scenes because like you said they are incredibly claustrophobic i found myself chewing my knuckles quite a few times and worrying about whether things were going to be okay and uh, just to speak again about how you said it was a very respectful story while i didn't see the documentary what I liked was that they gave almost equal amount of screen time to the Thai characters because there's also a subplot uh, going on. And I think it's okay to talk about this because it's again in, in the third, the first third, um, where they're trying to divert water from the monsoon floods, the oncoming rains, and they're trying to plug holes and they're trying to, uh, and they have to beg some farmers. They say, we can divert some water but it's going to ruin your crops and it's going to ruin your fields. And they talk about it for a moment and then they say, yeah, is it to help those boys? Well, absolutely, yeah. And I liked that the story very much, like I said, it, it was egoless. And I think that's why the story and Ron Howard as a director were a very good match because as a director, he is quite egoless. He comes across in real life like an incredibly nice man just to go on a little tiny tangent, but I think this uh, goes into why Ron Howard is so respected in the industry. After The Phantom Menace came out in 99, 
there was a lot of internet slagging off of Jake Lloyd, who played the very young Anakin Skywalker. And he put out a very passionate plea to ask people to be kind to him because of how hard he knew it was to be a child actor. And you wouldn't get that from a lot, or even most, Hollywood figures. But he's someone who knows that it, how hard life in that industry can be. And his direction, good or bad, is very complimentary of that personage, of, of, of that uh, kindness that he clearly displays. And I think this material is a lot of people going, oh, what can we do to help those boys? Okay, we'll do that. And even when there's some behind the scenes squabbling going on, like uh, there's one of the characters, I believe it's the governor, and he's on the way out. He's being kind of forced to uh, um, retire, to, to leave. And had this not happened, that would have already happened. But he knows that he's going to take a lot of the blame for it if this goes wrong. And he's sort of being pushed forward to be a bit of a scapegoat sort of uh, uh, situation. And even so, even though he knows that how badly this will come out if it goes wrong, he goes, well, I've got to do what I, what I can do to help. So this is what I'm going to do to help. And that's also the Navy SEALs characters. They're, they don't like these middle-aged old Englishmen. There's even a joke like, the old guys are emerging from the water. Get the old guys out. And um, they're not very complimentary at, at the beginning of these guys showing up. But then eventually they know that they have the special skills to dive into these caves and they while they're navy seals and they're good at swimming it's not cave diving eventually they know okay these guys are the experts these guys can help get us out uh, get the kids out let's follow them and i liked that about the story that there was it could have been so easy to turn it fictionalize it and turn it into a bashing on tables you can't handle the truth sort of story and i thought that it's a very fitting match of director and material and that's why it worked so well there was a lot of it was you know a lot of people from around the world coming together and in those situations i think often what would happen in real life is there would be a lot of egos clashing into each other and a lot of arguments and a lot of you know things not doing um you know maybe not going to plan because someone falls out with someone and blah 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 but actually, I think the, the only reason it worked was that they all, within reason, left their egos at the door. You know, there was a bit of here and there. It's just about the real thing that happened as opposed to the film, but it was portrayed very well in the film. There was a little bit of, you know, we kind of, this is what we do, and it's not so much what you guys do. But it was, it was, it, you know, it was just trying to spell that out to people that weren't as experienced at certain things. And... I think they did a really good job of, of showing that balance and how it was very co co kind of collaborative. And one of the other things that I kind of liked about it, so for those of you who remember, it was kind of happening at the same time as the last World Cup. So they were kind of intertwined. And actually in the film, in the background, there was a few scenes with the World Cup on the TV. Obviously the boys in a football team, all football mad. Um, as some of you still live in Thailand, most people in Thailand are. I would say football is probably the most popular sport. Um, so it was on everywhere. It's all everyone was talking about, um, and the, you know there was talk of, of you know. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. The boys obviously got out. You know that. If you don't, then I don't watch know the news some more. Exactly. Um, and there was talk of like flying them to uh, to the World Cup um, and things like that. Uh, you know when they got them out and stuff. So it, it, and I quite like the way that was intertwined. Um, and again, I 
okay, yes, it was in Russia and there's things that were problematic about that. But, you know, I think internet and, and FIFA aren't always the, the best organization, but the whole thing about international sports and the Olympics and, and things like that is, is about people coming together and competing respectfully and, and stuff and that. I kind of I liked how they kind of lent on those two things together as well. It kind of it was it was if you want a really good watch, if you want to cry from joy possibly if you're if you're you know of someone who's emotionally in touch with themselves, it's that kind of movie like you'll go away and you'll feel yeah, people can do things. Humans are good. And sometimes you need that kind of movie. I agree. And uh, just to bring up a counterpoint just to sort of end this film on uh, do you remember the film, the Ben Affleck film Argo from 2012? Yes. Which is incredibly entertaining, but as a history lesson, hoo boy, it is not good. Because that film changes the whole story to suggest that Hollywood was 99.9% responsible for getting those American diplomats out of that country yeah when it was at least as much the canadian canadian government, government and also foreign embassies yeah. on the soil who housed them for several days even if they weren't quite as responsible of getting them out about eight or nine governments were responsible for helping them but in for the film it's all hollywood and they even got into trouble for it at the end there was a disclaimer we did all the work and then the canadian government said no you didn't so they changed the disclaimer the Canadian and the American government helped to each other, I guess. This is completely the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, where that really is shown, they, they are shown that they're there. But actually, having again watched these documentaries, the the Americans, so the American military had a, I don't know where it was, it was, it was nearby in a neighbouring country. It was a military base and they sent some troops to say, oh, is there, you know, can they, we help out in any way? And they were actually... De- quite a lot and apparently they did a lot of facilitating between the, the Thai government and the and the the kind of international cave divers and things like that and actually they they, they were shown kind of in the background in a couple of scenes weren't they I was like oh the Americans say hi kind of thing but they, they weren't really front and centre of course they had to streamline yeah no exactly yeah they absolutely did and you know and they were the, the two most crucial parts were the things that the local Thai people did, the things that the Thai Navy SEALs did, and the things that the international cave divers led by the, the two Brits and the Aussie. Um, you know, and that's the the, um, the 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 crux of it. You know, that you have to do that for a movie. But actually, you, you know, you think if it was an American movie, you know, going back to U-boat, was it U-boat 42 or whatever that film was, where they were about finding the Enigma machine where the Americans did it. Well, yes. actually, it was not the Americans. And... Yeah, you know, you got these things that are completely um, fabricated, almost, and this did the opposite, almost. It 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 didn't leave the American story front and center because we've got to sell it in America and blah blah blah. It was, you know, they're there, but it actually focused on probably the, the crucial stories and and again showing that it was an egoless movie by an egoless director. It was quite nice to see. It was absolutely nice, and I will make a plea. For Johnny to stop hitting his bloody microphone cable. <laughs> I know, unfortunately, um, dear viewers, I am at such an angle. I, I'm trying to watch the computer screen with what's going on. With the While recording. also gesticulating when he's passionate about a point. Well, which I always do anyway. But also trying to look at Callum. So what happens is I'll look at the computer screen and I'll put my arm between the cable and the computer while I'm talking. And then I'll turn... To speak to Callum and then I'll go whack on the cable. So sorry if you hear any cable noise, I again will try and cut it out where I can. <laughs> um, but yeah. 
Uh, so that is 13 lives. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So our second movie, Callum. Is The Poseidon Adventure from 1972. And... I'm sure you all are aware of this film. It's a film they remade in 2006 um, as just Poseidon. It is probably one of the benchmark films for disaster films. Probably It and The Towering Inferno, which I watched as well, just to kind of give myself a little um, refresher on how the genre looked in the 1970s. It's directed by Ronald Nain, who... And this was in the time when a film director could just sort of dip into really any genre that they wanted to at any time so it's not their first it's not their only disaster movie they also did meteor in 1972 but they also did scrooge um they also did gambits the uh, sort of spy film and they've done a whole bunch of uh, uh different fun movies and it's the movie starts when a giant freak wave hit sideswipes after introducing all the characters as these disaster movies often do there's a quite a large cast of characters and it's at that time when if you're any a-lister in hollywood that's even remotely available you'll be put as a supporting character in a disaster movie and this one is no different it stars gene hackman um gene hackman gene hackman uh ernest borgnine shelley winters red buttons someone who's quite famous at the time from the 50s to 70s but might not be quite so known to people now i also love his name <laughs> yes fantastic name uh jack albertson who you might know as um one of the grandpas in charlie and the chocolate factory the one the time-wasting parasite who never gets out of bed until the, he's invited to a chocolate factory yeah the grandpa the grandpa yes the main one um and so uh, a, a huge tidal wave a freak wave they refer to it as hits the side of a boat and that's what uh, dispatches and gets rid of and kills um captain leslie nielsen who would later on be known as a comedy superstar but at this point was still a dramatic actor and this was his name roger <laughs> don't call me shirley um and a disparate cast of survivors um so um as the boat flips over it goes completely capsizes and a disparate cast of survivors has to make it from the ballroom where they were all celebrating the New Year's Eve celebrations and gets to the bottom or the top of the boat in order to survive this thing. And I had never seen this film before, but I understand that you, Johnny, did. You watched it a lot with your dad on ITV, like you said. 
Yeah, I don't know if a lot is the, the, the correct word, but I seem to remember it being one of those films that was on in the background on a Sunday afternoon after a Sunday roast or something. And I was going, I'm sure I've seen it. And I think in my head, as a kid, I'd had it mixed up with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but I knew I'd seen it. And then when I watched it, I was like, yes, I remember this. I remember the ending quite clearly. Um, yeah, I, I've got kind of a bit of a soft spot for those disaster movies, actually. I, I always liked Airport as well, which is kind of what Airplane was based on. Um, and then, uh, yeah, really, um, I, I, think, well, I think the Poseidon Adventure is good, a good fun, fun little, little adventure. Um, and Towering Inferno is good fun as well. And like you say, they just scoop up every big name that's out there and like, do you want some money and run around on a big set for a while? Um, that slightly resembles Crystal Maze, and uh, <laughs> which is one of my big takeaways. From that is very true because of the way that um, films in the seventies were made. They couldn't make gigantic sets the size of you know airliners. They had to sort of make use of one room sets. So there is a case of we've got to get out of this room. They get out of that room. Ah, now we're in this narrow hallway. They get out of that narrow hallway. Oh, no, there's a flash fire past that door that we're not going to see the set to because we haven't built that set yet. Um, but with that aside, that that is, uh, you know, that's very flippant remarks. It was the 1970s. The money didn't stretch as far as it does on these huge CGI-led films today. Everything was done practically. And they had to come up with a lot of new solutions. So one thing I was reading about is that the ballroom set was built on a gimbal so it's twisted 45 degrees to create the correct sliding sort of thing and that's as far as they could flip it and when the gimbal stopped the camera took over and started twisting itself to kind of make it look 90 percent 90 degrees you can tell that and you could tell that with with quite a few scenes there's that thing where everyone's like is everyone quite leaning the same way together on the camera? It's a bit like in Star Trek whenever the Klingons yeah. fire a cable and they have to do the jerky dance. And this is a time when we should have a video podcast because you can see us both going like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. The Klingons, the Klingons are attacking. Yeah, it is, there is a little bit of that on there, but it is done really well. That The ballroom set actually is probably the best set, I would say, in the film. It's really impressive. I thought that sequence was the most dramatic and nail-biting moment because it was just incredibly well choreographed yeah lots of stuntmen jumping and and flinging themselves over and it's like this is real old school hollywood ingenuity and this is real magic you know you can imagine this is the i believe the highest grossing film of 1973 um and you can see why this must have been absolutely gargantuan at the time this is huge yeah and people really got into these films for a while because they'd seen nothing like it before it was kind of the first time that this kind of um big budget action movies you know they used used to get big epics like ben-hur and stuff like that but having them on a you know just a more flippant fun scale they they started around this time and then you know obviously this towering inferno airport there was a real spate to them and then after people had seen three or four of them they they kind of petered out a little bit but no they are there it's really excellently done there are some bits that look a bit hammy, but at the same time, you know, you get things that look a bit hammy in films that are made now with CGI. And you're watching a film called The Poseidon Adventure, which is clearly meant to be dumb fun. So if you're not expecting or even wanting hammy, then you're 
probably watching the wrong movie, I'd Absolutely, say. Yeah. And you made a good point that this is, you know, after the biblical epics and the Ben-Hurs of the world, this is what took over for a period as the big tentpole. And this came out in 1972. December. Uh, Yes, um, the um, the towering inferno <laughs> hit it again. Hit <laughs> Don't draw attention to it. I can't edit it out if you draw attention to it. <laughs> the towering inferno came out in 1974, and then in the mid 70s, uh, 1975, um, is when you get films like Superman. And <laughs> so stop laughing! You're ruining the review. You're ruining the magic. And in 1977, of course, you had Star Wars. And when Star Wars came along, the rest is history. That's what blockbusters <laughs> look like forever. This is not funny. <laughs> You're spiking the mic. Don't be so loud. Okay. <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah. But also, speaking of Hammy, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. And also, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Together. B- bulging eyes, Borgnine. <laughs> Just... <laughs> it's last time I didn't mic the microphone at all. <laughs> it was very. We were very good last time. We're very pro- scared about sort of. You know, we must be very professional. Ah, uh, yes. This is my opinion. What is your opinion, Johnny? Now we're kind of really getting into personalities, which is what the viewers slash listeners want. want. When we yeah. get a camera crew, we can call them the viewers. Well, absolutely. But you're right. Uh, Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine are really trying to act the other one off the screen and uh, Gene Hackman's character is the funnest because he plays a um, a religious man he's a reverend and he's he's lost his way he just he's kind of he can't hack it anymore he does ha, hack it hack man um that was funny listen laugh damn it um he turned his microphone off ladies and gentlemen <laughs> he has lost microphone privileges after that um yeah. Can I have it back, please? Mm, I think we're going to get a timeout. So, Gene Hackman, young, trendy. Young. <laughs> young in the context of the movie, uh, which is something else that I want to talk about in a bit, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Gene Hackman, young, trendy, hip, doesn't wear a dog collar, reverend. Reverend? Is that what they call them in the States? Pastor. I believe. Uh, is my microphone on? No. <laughs> this is what this is what I have to put up. With. Um, That's what he deserves. In he's is credited as Reverend Scott in the film, so he let's go with Reverend. Okay, young, hip, down with the kids, Reverend. What would you do? You know, you don't get down on your knees and pray if you were freezing to death. You'd burn the house down and warm yourself up. And he did that. He he's a doer. He's doing things. He was forty-two years old when this film was made. Doing young hip. That's pretty young and hip for Reverend, though. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe not in these modern flea bag days, but in them days. In them days. In no the... Andrew Scott here. No, absolutely not. And yeah, absolutely chewing every single piece of scenery. And then Ernest Borgnine. He's first introduced. He has a, a wife that's quite a bit younger than him. Um, and she's she has food poisoning. Oh, no, sorry. She has seasickness, but he's insisting that it's food poisoning. And he's shouting at the doctor, you're just going to give her a pill and be on your way. We've wait, been wait, waiting wait. for hours. What are you doing? This isn't the way to treat people. It's like, this is the ham off. This is the ham mm-hmm. match. But it wouldn't matter because neither of them would get a Oscar nomination for their acting. 
The only person to get an Oscar nomination for their acting is Shelley Winters, who plays the one half of an elderly married couple, or an older married couple, and they're very sweet in the film. They love each other and they're talking about how they're going to see um, their relative and they're going to go to Greece. This is why they're on the, the, uh, the, the, this um, a cruise to go to Greece to see, see I think it's their granddaughter. Yeah, and, um, go to Israel. Uh, yeah, to Israel, sorry. Um, Charlie Bucket's granddad yes. one half of the cruise. And in this cruise, film, he's a, a sweet, lovely old man and not a time-wasting parasite. But, um, and they get kind of the best stuff to do. They're, they're very sweet together. And then she, towards the end, gets her hero moment because there's a moment where Gene Hackman has to dive under some water and he gets stuck and he's been gone far too long. And she says, well, I was a champion swimmer when I was a girl. I wasn't always fat like this. And, you know, this is Hollywood fat, which means slightly <laughs> slightly more weight than the skinny person. But um, And she dives, she saves the day, and then she dies of unrelated movie-itis where... I spent five minutes longer in water than I should have. But five minutes less than Gene Hackman. But five minutes less than Gene Hackman. And somehow I die. And doesn't matter how much screaming Ernest Borgnine and Gene Hackman do to one another, she got the Oscar nomination. Yeah, probably rightly so. She has a... She's a, very good in the yeah, movie. A, a, a subtle, well-acted role. The film actually won two Oscars as well to its credit, which is, is pretty interesting. Yes, it was nominated for several, and one of the Oscars was for a song. Which song? <laughs> oh, the morning after. That very 70s song that the hippies are singing at the start. Most of the, them die, but the girl lives. But they're singing a song at the start of the film. I watched this this afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't remember. I faintly remember that part. It, it became one of those twee, fiddly D 70s songs that for a while during the mid 70s you couldn't avoid. But it originated in this film. And I believe it's called The Morning After. But I am going to check on the old IMDb to make sure that I'm not lying to you. So, something else that I found quite interesting about the film is you've got the precocious youngster role which is very early shown on he's actually the first person shown in the movie yes yes he's he is climbing around the side of the boat which is swaying violently from one side of the other with waves splashing over it so where it cuts to the uh, uh the the bridge with leslie nielsen oh the ship's listing very hard to the right now you hey, shouldn't. young lad, what are you doing up here? You shouldn't be up here, boy. You told me you could come up here. I could come up here anytime. This is a very strange time for you to come up here, young sir. How about we continue this chat another day? I wanted to spend Never the to be entire film smacking the hell out of him. I hate precocious little youngsters in films. <laughs> it annoys the hell out of me. You agree with Ernest Borgnine's character? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I am Ernest Borgnine's well, character. Quite. I was like, listen to the youngster. He knows what he's talking about. I know what I was like at that age. I knew everything about every ship. I would have been smacking him from room to room. And I don't think there would be a law in the world that would stop me from doing it. I'd say, look at him. I think there's many people. Look at gentlemen. him. He's annoying. Uh, I did find there was one aspect of the film that I actually found quite irritating. And it was Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine's scenery chewing off. It was fun. And then they kept doing it. And then they kept doing it. And then they kept doing it. And eventually I just found myself... It, it had no sort of progression. Like, they, they started angry at each other. They remained angry at each other. And every new action set-piece scene 
there's like, I'm going to do it my way. No, we're going to do it my way. It's like, oh, guys. And then guys. every time Gene Hackman's way won, and then they were like, I was just starting to trust you, but I don't trust you anymore. I don't trust you. And then, uh, yeah, and then and Borgnine's um, wife is killed towards the end of the movie. Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of people die in this movie. Yeah, which well, it, it's a disaster movie. Yeah. You, you sh- should like expect. Just like the Crystal Maze. They, people get killed in each level. I don't remember um, that episode of the Crystal Maze. I must say. Well, that's what happens, isn't it? When you get they get like locked in rooms and things. And basically, it, dead. it's not. You don't believe it's actually happening, though, do you? Well, I don't believe the Poseidon adventure actually happened either. Oh, good. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, see, one is uh, narrative fiction. The other is a game show. So it's not real. Neither of them are. But you believe the narrative fiction while you're watching it. That's what I mean. I don't think I believed the Poseidon Adventure when I was watching it. I mean you believe it as a piece of fiction that you're watching. Suspension of disbelief. I kind of think that Crystal Maze is possibly a piece of fiction as well. I guess. I just put less stock in in game shows because I know. Maybe you didn't watch enough of the Crystal Maze. Maybe. This is where I start putting in... Do 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 do. Anyway, uh, back on to the topic. So there, there was one area that I kind of found a bit, well, <laughs> um, I suppose it's of its time, but I suppose it's a problem that hasn't gone away. Is that I mean, how old do you think? How old was Ernest Borgnine at the time? Do you think? I imagine he was in his late forties. I'm guessing. Maybe early fifties. Early fifties. But Gene Hackman in his that, late forties. No, he was in his early early 40s. For, or mid forties, mid forties. Um, and how old were the majority of them's wives? Or he was mid fifties. Yeah, I know their wife is alarmingly young. But also, there's the there's the the other couple um, that don't really have much to do. Yeah, there's a, a subplot and, between Red Buttons and the teenage girl yeah, who was singing The Morning After. And Red Buttons is what, like... He was disturbingly old. It was very off-putting. And yeah. there was something weird about him. And it might be that that's what, who he was as a performer. I can't say I know. I was only looking up the movie the other day and I was looking up the actors because I knew that of the 70s, they were probably quite well known, but only, to my knowledge, only Ernest Borgnine and... Shelley Winters and Gene Hackman and um, Charlie Bucket's granddad were the ones that I knew. And he was a, quite a famous uh, comedian of the day uh, and actor who's not as famous now. So maybe that's something about his performance style, but there was something quite off-putting about him leching after this young teenage girl whose brother had just died. Yeah, there was definitely um, some some weird parts in there but there was that, that other couple as well the slightly younger male and then the, the woman in the orange t-shirt yes and again quite a big age difference and you know, we know it happens in hollywood now you know you, how does seth rogan uh, 42 schlubby guy be dating a 27 year old beauty like you know there, there's you get this in movies now this little bit of kind of uh surreal dreaming dream girl kind of I can get the 27 year old even though I'm 42 it's and still let myself go but it's not quite to the level of what no. was in <laughs> this where it's like 55 year olds with 20 year olds I know it was very strange um, and it was quite uncomfortable I have to say um, I think the only reason why the Ernest Borgnine part 
um, worked a little bit was that he she didn't let him off for his screaming and belly aching. A lot of times she was like, oh, will you shut up? So I think at least the actress was game enough to not be a, a wilting flower and the part wasn't written for a wilting flower. But th that's not enough to distract from that strange age disparity. Yeah, I thought they were quite fair as well of kind of like having half the men as spineless wimps and half the yes. women as wilting flowers maybe and vice versa, you know, having half the men that are... Yes, well, because the, the man. teenage girl, she couldn't swim and she was always screaming and like uh, the precocious young kid was uh, the young her young brother and she found a lot of times going will you stop doing that we, we, we gotta be rescued and you can't just go off like that to the bathroom yeah so you got a little bit of that but then you also got I'm an Olympian swimmer and I can save the day. So you kind of got a bit of a balance. The, the same with some of the, guys, some of the guys like, I'm not going up that ladder. It's too scary. And then some like, I'm macho, macho man. Yes. You know, so you kind of got <laughs> as much balance as you could probably expect from, from the movie from, the, from that early in the 70s. Yes, I, th I think <laughs> there was some attempts being made to, to mix up the balance. Yeah, that, um, one thing that I thought was perfection in it, I wish films would take it from like this now. They've wrapped it up in like 10 minutes. Yes. It was like, oh, here's a big story point happening. Oh, we've got to the end of the crystal maze. Oh, there's the people saving us. Hel helicopter shot pulling away of a badly drawn ship on its side. And it was end a of the day. very tightly packed story and uh, very, very paced very well um each they managed to uh, put in a they introduced a set of characters you had your first big set piece and then every time they entered a new corridor or room there was a thing uh, it's a flash fire oh there's a floods we have to swim there's a this there's a that so every scene they knew okay keep them entertained keep them entertained keep them entertained now let's end this film yeah and on that note i think we need to start ending our podcast think so <laughs> no faffing about here folks exactly straight in for the kill so let's start off with 13 lives what is your rating out of 10 and uh, why i'm gonna give it an eight i think it was a very solidly well-managed egoless film and i thought that the actors for the most part applied themselves very well one niggle aside tiny tiny niggle aside it was very well directed by a director who knew not to put too much of himself into the story um and it kept me gripped and i was chewing my knuckles from moment one to when it ended about two hours and 30 minutes or so i, I actually am going to completely agree with you and give it an eight out of ten as well um i thought that it it's what it was one of those films that I think if it had come out in October or November and probably got a bit of a bigger cinema release, now that there's ten best picture nominations, I feel like it could have been one of those films that got a an outside, you know shot at the number nine or ten yeah, spot. spot and maybe like I don't know if it was a I don't know if it was adapted from a um 
a book or if it was a, a straight script, but in maybe maybe a nomination in one of those category, you know, for and the certainly screenplay some technical and, categories. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's one of those, and it's still, you know, there, it could be a weak year and there not be enough, and it could still get one of those nine or ten slots. But definitely, if it came out in October, November, I think it would be in the running. I think and it's it really still... like it was a really good, well put together nuts and bolts film. Like. I'd watch it over Green Book any day of the week. Oh, absolutely. And I still think that it has a good shot at some of those technicals, best editing, sound, um, you know, several of those sort, sorts of nominations. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, really good. And so, so that is a combined 8 out of 10. So, well done. And Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon Adventure is a bit trickier because you have to race it on what it's managed to do for the time over what you're expecting from a as an audience member from the 2020s who sees a lot of the very revolutionary special effect work as being a little bit quaint nowadays and it's unfair a little bit to... like our film last week the frighteners well quite and this doesn't have the benefit of being a comfort movie which the frighteners was for me which is why i rated it quite so highly so i'm battling between six and seven just for that reason of do i rate it on how i actually enjoyed it or what it actually accomplished and i think gone to my head i think i'm going to go for a six out of ten and just because there were some elements that annoyed me about the ernest borgnine and gene hackman's bickering the annoying very annoying very annoying child actor that song at the start the morning after it's like nope turn that it off Oscar winning song Oscar winning song turn it off turn it off right now never to watch again so I think I'm going to go for a 6 because the special effects when they did kick in and when the adventure did kick in it's like okay here we go this is the film this is tightly paced I like this I like this very tight fun action movie annoyingly I, I'm kind of half agreeing with you on this number as well in my head so if it was if i was hung over and i wanted to lie on the sofa on a sunday afternoon half watching something with like some crisps and chocolate bar and can of coke that kind of vibe i would probably think this is an 8 out of 10 love it but actually when you boil it down there's not much in the script it's people walking from a room working how to get how to get out of that room and then walk into another room and then working out how to get out of that room and so on and so on with some pretty um basic characters with very little character development and character so very you'd struggle so. from that point of view to to give it you know a massive um you know massively high rating but from a technical point of view, from a maybe slightly nail pointing point of view, it's like which person is going to die in this room because pretty much someone dies in every room, you know that kind of thing. Maybe it was quite interesting. Um, I think in my head, like when you think about it, the, the film that I think that's come out in the last say ten years that it kind of would be the easiest to compare it to is um, Gravity. Yeah, I think it's, that I can see, I can totally understand it, you, what it is you're about to say. It's that getting, it's getting from point, a thing happens at the start, there's, well, it starts off, there's a tiny little bit of uh, character building, if you can call it that, then a thing happens, then you're getting from point A to point B to point C to point D, the end, kind of survival movie and pretty groundbreaking special effects at the time. Now, where I think there's a start, and, and, and I... I really liked it. I would have given Gravity eight and a half, 
No, halves. we don't do halves. We don't do halves. I would have given Gravity a 9 out of 10, probably. Um, but Gravity, what it did was it was far more suspenseful. Right? It wasn't hammy. It wasn't badly acted. It wasn't all those things. And that's not just because it has, you know, 2014 when the film came out, yeah. special effects. It's far more than that. It's more tense. The script is tighter. The the way that the the special effects make you feel is tighter. Like you feel like you're in that spaceship. And the characters, with, uh, slight though they are, are very effective. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it's different. So that's where that's a, that's why when I when I look at it from a meat and potatoes point of view, it's got to be a six because the special effects are great. It's a fun story. It's at the end of the day, a movie's there for you to enjoy, and it is enjoyable for the most part. Um, so it's it, you know it's ticked a couple of boxes, so it's a six out of ten. But it doesn't have it, it, no point. Me really suspenseful. At no point did you really care about any single character in it. Whereas you kind of did with Gravity, even though they were kind of you know the same basic story almost. Um, and that's so that's where I'm on that. So frustrating. We've both agreed with each other on both things this week, which is how dare we? Not ideal. But, yeah. <laughs> so on that we are going to end this week's podcast so it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me and again once again we have sounded like the two ronnies bye bye don't rip off that <laughs> now we come up like with our own gimmick how do we end a podcast that's another thing you can send us on the back of a postcard how do we end a podcast goodbye